0: Welcome to the Globig Podcast, where we talk to international expansion experts from around the world to make it faster and easier for you to take your business global. You're listening to the Globig International Expansion Podcast. Hi, I'm your host, Anka Corbin, the founder and CEO of Globig. Today's hot topic is about global business communication and culture, basically how to do business in Germany. And our guest is Sabine Ahmed. She's the CEO of Couture and Management Inc. And she's also got some exciting business news to share. Sabine, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this is a really exciting topic and certainly a really relevant topic for companies that are doing business in Germany. Sabine, welcome.
1: Thank you, Anke. I so appreciate you having me here in this conversation. And thanks for setting me up for an exciting announcement in terms of my own business. I am about to step into the role of the CEO position as the CEO of TI Communication USA, which is going to be a growth-oriented joint venture based on my previous company with the German-founded TI Communication. So my business will continue in a lot of intercultural communication and also expand into more change and organization development company company work around the world.
0: Fantastic. So what we're gonna to do today is I wanna you know, share stories and of course learn about, you know, how do we communicate well? I find that it's a very, very Um, difficult time in international relations, and specifically difficult between the United States and Germany, and even the EU in general, politically, trade, and that translates into a somewhat challenging business environment, and, and what I'd like to do is just understand a little bit about what your thoughts are around that, and how we can just become more culturally aware and sensitive to, you know, that this might be something that's it's, it's very difficult for companies and people that are in other countries when they see so many dramatic changes and even an approach that is very culturally um, different than what they're comfortable with. You know, how do we manage within that as business people?
1: Yeah, truly, that that is a challenge. Um, One thing that's important to understand for your European business partners, and for Germany in particular, is just how big the news footprint about the US is in these countries. So what's going on in US politics, both nationally and internationally, is very present day to day in people's minds. And especially on Germany, there's a cultural value of stability and re- reliability in all relationships, and that includes political relationships. And right now, that value is being shaken quite a bit. There was a perception that the transatlantic alliance is a very stable thing, and right now that's being questioned, which is very unsettling for Germans who tend to be oriented more towards diplomacy, towards peaceable solutions, and also feel a sense of vulnerability through their geographic closeness to Russia, as well as the various immigration and refugee flows that are coming into the European Union. So I think it's really important to step a little bit into their shoes and how much more vulnerable it can feel when you are in a smaller country that's got multiple neighbors, and can only really succeed by multilateral diplomacy and cannot withdraw from that kind of interdependence.
0: Absolutely. Are there some approaches that we as business people can take prior to connecting and communicating and reaching out just so we can enhance our awareness? Is there, you know, how might we approach this?
1: Well, you know, one practical tool that you might already have in your strategy thinking box is a pest analysis. So that's an analysis of political, economic, social, and technological factors, and just try and perspective switch in that and go, what might that pest analysis of the US, for example, look like through German eyes? What concerns might that raise? What questions, possibly also misperceptions so that you can then in your conversations be a little aware where they might be coming from and better prepared to address some of those concerns as well.
0: I think that we often as American business businesses and a business approach, we don't always think about the political impact because we don't we haven't had to in a long time and it's often easy to just ignore it and and would you recommend based on how to communicate best with Germans that you address it proactively or would you wait until that's brought up in a conversation how how would you tactically do that
1: well you might be very surprised how direct at least some Germans are in their communication style and how political topics are not taboo. So rather than wondering how to broach the topic, you might want to brace yourself for some potentially very confrontative and direct questions.
0: And just Uh, be prepared. and And be prepared.
1: And know that that's a way of relationship building. It's not a style that's intended to offend you. But use it as a way to build a relationship, to show that you're thinking intelligently about the questions, and position yourself as a thoughtful and reliable conversation business partner that way.
0: Absolutely. No matter what you think politically, and no matter which side you're on, we need to learn how to have really good dialogues so that we can at least have positive relationships versus we see too much of the antagonistic approach, which isn't helpful or conducive to building great relationships of any sort, even business relationships, right?
1: Absolutely. And know that, in especially in the German style, it's very content oriented. And for a lot of Germans, a difference of opinion and position is just part of a build, building a relationship and getting to know somebody. It's not the end or the limitation of trust or a potential friendship it's just okay so now that i know what you think i know you better and that's a helpful step in the relationship which is very interesting very different to the be diplomatic find topics of shared interests and maybe switch topics if it seems there might be disagreement conversation styles in germany in that regard are more robust in terms of just difference. Mm
0: -hmm. And that's something that I think we have to be prepared for so that we aren't taken aback and that we aren't um, offended or aren't sensitive to it, right?
1: Yeah, it can be. The directness can feel overwhelming. I mean, when I used to come back from England and China to work in Germany, sometimes it would feel to me like German communication was like speaking in boxing gloves it felt very direct
0: i have i'm a german and i know you are as well and i have people telling me that and i have had the, that my entire career where it was like wow you really um are direct and can you add some smiley faces to your emails and just some chit chat at the beginning at the end so that it isn't it doesn't feel quite as direct <laughs> That's funny. Well, let's talk a little bit. We'll we'll jump off of politics, but let's talk about some of the challenges and just an understanding of how to effectively communicate with Germans. And now, granted, we're generalizing, and and you know that's always unfair and and not always correct. But there are some similarities within that. Um, let's talk about the different communication styles and how they might. Be representative. So what about nonverbal communication styles with Germans?
1: Yeah, that's that's a good one in that a lot of Germans communicate in a way that's very verbally focused and in turn are not that attentive to nonverbal cues by their counterparts. So, if you're somebody who is more expressive in the nonverbals, you may not just not be read. Um, the other part is that you often find a fairly neutral facial expression in Germans in the beginning. So, if you don't get that warm, welcoming smile initially, that might feel a little distant. And just know that that's more a norm and not a signal of you're not welcome or i don't like you just take three deep breaths and kind of keep going and you'll find as your counterparts get more comfortable with you some of that of uh, body language of facial expressions soften up a little bit as well overall Germans are not wildly expressive in their body language especially in a in a business setting What you might see is slightly more expressions verbally and non-verbally sometimes of impatience or irritation. And again, that's part of the normal repertoire. It's really helpful to try and remember that this is generally not meant to personally attack you. It's just a slightly different norm of what's normal range.
0: Absolutely, you know another thing is just smiles in general, right when we look at pictures of uh us here we have we typically have fairly large smiles that's not the case, and it actually comes across as somewhat disingenuous and somewhat um like you're pretending and it's fake. Is that something that you found as well?
1: yeah, actually, that sort of ties into that a larger theme of um, how charismatic or how optimistic or inspirational you're supposed to be in your communication and a lot of Germans view that type of speaking or doing presentation or doing a self-presentation as not real they'll go like, well, nobody can be that optimistic or no situation can be truly that wonderful. Reality is always a much more mixed bag. So what Germans might see in that is either you're just naive, which would translate in, I don't read you as competent. Hmm. Or they might see it as, oh, yet another arrogant US American. They just think they have it all figured out which is probably also not your intention. And the other part is sometimes language. Optimism and um, charisma often comes with really animated and very fast styles of speaking as well. And that is a really, really major challenge for people who are not native speakers of English. It's just really hard to process that type of information.
0: And would you say that there's more care and thought being put into what is being said often? And so not only is there the second language thought process, but there's also the I want to make sure I'm communicating well or I want to make sure I'm seen as intelligent or I want to make sure that I'm not making a mistake. So there's all these processes happening at the same time and before someone communicates.
1: Certainly. I mean, you would probably expect a lot of Germans to be somewhat more going through an internal editing process before they speak, partly because it's the work with, okay, how do I put that into the English language? Part of it is an orientation that's a little bit more risk-averse than what is typical in a U.S. environment, so there's this sense of, okay, I want to get this right. And by and large, German business culture is quite detail-oriented. So there's also the part of how do I get my details and content out there really correctly.
0: Mm, Absolutely. You had mentioned, so we initially talked about nonverbal, but let's do talk about language somewhere. What about, and, and again, you mentioned also about the directness, how do you suggest that people that are very direct uh, or indirect, how best to communicate and bridge that gap. Is it an awareness of it? Is it really saying out there that I'm going to be much more um, detail focused so that we don't have miscommunications or is it just something that you kind of work out in the process?
1: It's a little bit of both. For that, I'd I'd really like to share a bit of a, A story here, and this was around level of detail. This was a pharmaceutical company um, and their senior U.S. management team did a presentation uh, in front of their German headquarters senior management. And what they did was what they thought was perfectly appropriate, kind of high level bulleted, let's get to the point presentation. The German audience interpreted this as lack of preparation and lack of thorough understanding of the issue to be decided and quite forcefully sent the US team back and told them, you need to do three months more work on this. The sad thing was that the US team had actually done really thorough research and had had a lot of underpinning detail behind that presentation. It was just one of those moments where communication styles created a lot of misunderstanding, which cost time and money to both sides. And with a little bit more awareness that, hey, this is an area where we may have different styles, and just stepping back and saying, Hey, um, we would like to have a little more, a little less communication, and just get to that point where you inquire into how we are talking about each other. Is this working? What are you hearing? What are we hearing? What are you needing? What are we needing? These are small things, but they can help enormously.
0: Yeah, so that's some good advice and how to actually bridge that challenge, right? How about physical touch and personal space? What is that like when you deal with... uh, The Germans, as again, we're generalizing here, but what do you sense uh, around that?
1: Well, one of the things to remember is that population density in Germany and space are very different to the U.S. If the U.S. had the population density of Germany, you would have 2 billion Americans living in this country. So just let that settle for a moment and go, okay, what would that do? What that does is that people generally move and stand a little bit closer to each other. But overall, Germany isn't a particularly tactile culture. So generally, you'd find handshakes normal in business. Friends might give give each other hugs. And other than that, it's kind of not a whole lot of touch.
0: So hugs in business, probably not common to see. Would you agree with that?
1: No, no. That would not be common.
0: Interesting. But certainly a normal, how about is it a very strong handshake or is it a very light? Because even culturally we see differences there.
1: Um, Expect the stronger side of things. I certainly learned that as a young businesswoman in Germany that that was one of my ways to kind of really indicate I'm here and I know my stuff, that I would be pretty strong in my handshakes. And now I sometimes, depending on where I am, if I don't pay attention, I overdo that. And I'm kind of going, oh, my counterpart <laughs> wasn't exactly thrilled with that right now.
0: <laughs> you heard them.
1: I was <laughs> like, okay, that was over the top. <laughs> they didn't see this one coming.
0: <laughs> how about how about email communications? What is the policy on a cold email Um Can you reach out to someone and expect some feedback? I know I've struggled with the right approach, even though, again, I'm familiar and I still always second-guess myself as to how to communicate best. And then even within the email itself, is it a lot of detail? Is it, you know, what are key things that you must have? That sort of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, expect reluctance to... Interaction. If your first approach is email, and that is a complete cold cold approach, people will just feel like, okay, this is just somebody I don't know. I don't know where they're from. I there's no no sense of relationship, and there's a good chance that you get no no reaction at all. Um, what's important, at any rate, is to be somewhat formal in that form of address and really lay out clearly what. What is the context of why you're writing and what it is that you're wanting and explain yourself Um, people want to know your why and your your rationale if they don't understand that they will certainly um not respond in the spirit of hey why not i mean that those types of reactions will likely be less common
0: Mm Even within social media, I've noticed, one, that a number of, especially senior executives and senior professionals in or professors, they're not at all even on social media. So it's very difficult to use a LinkedIn consistently and things like that. But if they are, they're also not uh, very responsive. Introductions and familiarity... And being a part of adjoining things are still really important over there, aren't they?
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, there's a level of really different sense of boundaries around privacy in all parts of life, and that certainly includes habits uh, in social media, how the boundaries are drawn, how active people are, how integral social media are to people's careers, and at this point in time, they're less so than the U.S.
0: Do you see that changing in different age groups?
1: Yeah, there, there are generational differences. Um, it also depends on, on certain areas. I mean, if you're, say, an, an entrepreneur or if you're in the consulting arena, that's a little different from maybe being in your 10th year in a large German corporation as an employed engineer. I mean, there you would have a lot of job stability and not not particularly look at this ongoing sense of, I've got to keep marketing myself.
0: Do you find that there are hierarchical relationships that are important to maintain, somewhat like you see in Asian cultures where if you're a vice president, you can reach out to someone that's a vice president, but if you're under that, you shouldn't. What is the relationship to hierarchies within the German culture that you see?
1: Well, that depends partly generationally and certainly also by industry. I mean, if you're in a young startup new technology, environment, it can be pretty non-hierarchical and and free flow and informal. If you're in some of the large corporations and the older industries, it tends to be a more stricter and somewhat more hierarchical structure. So you'll see that. The other part is there is a stereotype of Germans as hierarchical in the minds of many US Americans.
0: And why is that? What do you think is leading to that?
1: My sense is connected to kind of a historically outdated view of Germans as these strictly oriented militaristic people. And that is simply an outdated image that's like has not really been relevant for the last 50 years. Um, The other part is, I believe, is just that there is that directness in communication, which sometimes comes across as if it were intended to be authoritarian or very directive. And there's a real difference between directive and directness that sometimes gets misunderstood.
0: Is it appropriate for junior person to be direct to a senior person is that culturally appropriate or does it go one way the directness
1: no actually it doesn't go one way um what you find is that broadly speaking if you make your points through a lens of factualness and content expertise data and informed knowledge then offering counterpoints is general generally possible. What is not acceptable is kind of a more relationally, emotionally um, kind of off response. I mean, telling somebody you just don't get it would probably not be a good idea, but saying, look, here is my reasoning and my data for why I think this approach might work, would work better than yours, that would be acceptable. And that you can do pretty openly. You could do that in even in group settings.
0: Interesting. So in a meeting... Mm- Punctuality and then, you know, kind of approach and organization. Let's talk about how to make for an effective meeting. And then, then how do you know whether a meeting's been effective or not? Are there some hints to that based on kind of the response of the group?
1: Well, there's a, a couple of things. One is that the expectation is that you come to meetings prepared. So do your homework. Typically, meetings have a pretty clearly structured agenda. And the preference in Germany is to stick to that. So again, know what's on the agenda and then work within that. A lot of meetings come with pretty detailed minutes and action items. And if you're in that format, then do what you say you did as per the minutes because the flow might very well be that you start that next minute with okay here's the minutes from the last time and then we're going through the action items so that is a fairly typical way of of doing minutes if you want to sort of feel the pulse of a meeting afterwards hallway conversations if you can have them are absolutely useful cultivate those one two three people that you just have an easier time to to talk informally and go hey how's your view of how this meeting went anything um we could have done better anything we need to clarify or follow up by phone with people like that too just cultivate kind of a little bit of your your informal conversation and your learning relationships that way so that you can keep fine-tuning your ability to read an environment that you're just less familiar with.
0: Given the less expressive personas, do you get a sense or do the Germans typically after meeting then convene and have some sort of a, a group agreement that this is worth pursuing or do you sometimes get an immediate sense that, is there a a level of enthusiasm that comes where would they immediately set another meeting up? Are there any of those sorts of indicators you can look for?
1: It can be either or. I mean, there can be really, okay, let's do this. Let's move forward in, in the meeting with a pretty clear indication. Again, it depends on what level of meeting, what topic, what type of organizational culture. And especially in larger organizations where more kind of just internal coordination may be needed, they may say, okay, we just need to sit down now and discuss this and then you'll hear from us. And that's not necessarily a bad sign.
0: Absolutely. I would, I think it's always helpful especially for sales teams and groups that are getting meetings to have indicators of, you know, what might be a culturally appropriate response and what should you expect versus being disappointed or elated, right? Mm-hmm. Either way.
1: Yeah. And I mean, what should we expect next is one of those questions that are okay to ask or what what is our next step from here? Again, that is a fairly direct content oriented oriented questions and as, as long as you don't ask it especially in a sales context in a way that makes you seem intrusive or desperate that's that's absolutely an okay question
0: one of the things we hear a lot about is is that the especially again thinking Americans but this happens in other cultures is that they're not prepared to build relationships and trusts over time and that we have to have a, a kind of a longer term vision of being really successful in the german market and what are your thoughts around that and are there some senses of how much time are we talking about what does it take to build that trust how you know just so that companies kind of have a sense of what to mm. expect
1: yeah i would agree with the statement um of it takes time and it is an expectation that longer term relationships are being built um Germans need that sense of you're reliable i can trust you and um for that you need to show that you're competent you need to show that you follow through you show that you have some substance to yourself and No, that can take three months. Depending on industry, that can also take one or two years. But don't expect things to be moving as quickly as they can be in the U.S., where sometimes you can really get a project off the ground in in two, four weeks if you're in the right place at the right time.
0: How much risk do you think that the Germans associate with working with startups?
1: Um... What you see in, in Germany is a more, generally more cautious approach to business. There is admiration for the startup culture, especially of Silicon Valley. There's fascination. And then when it comes to doing something like this at home, um, there's also hesitancy. I mean, a city like Berlin has a great startup culture, and there's some other regions that do that very well. When you start looking at the medium-sized um, sort of global champion family businesses or the large German corporations, they be, they'll be they be likely more on the cautious side and go, are you here to stay? Will you be gone tomorrow? Um, and they will be asking you a lot of questions um, to figure out just how much risk how um, might be might be in the field
0: yeah. how likely is it for people to build um kind of deeper friendships in a fairly short time period? because that was something else that I hear about is that it's some people get frustrated because they don't have a personal outside of work relationship and then others have built really deep long term relationships and but they've taken time, so I just want to address just the expectation of that and and Would you assume that if you're meeting with someone that you're going to also share their evenings and weekends and and do social things and that sort of thing? Well, it
1: depends, again, on the person and also the organizational culture. It is, however, important to know that for Germans, there is often a separation between work, which is public, and personal life private, and many Germans don't mix that. So in the work sphere, there is not necessarily an expectation of friendship. What is important is that you earn respect and that you show competence and that you say what you do and become reliable. And over time, that can grow into the social field or it may not. And if it doesn't, that is not a failure. That is a solid working relationship, emphasis on work. And then, of course, there are, especially if you have, um, say, people who are more in sales and marketing, who are more maybe people and relationship oriented anyway, who might be much more accessible to also doing social things together. It's also a generational thing to some degree. um, Younger professionals are a little bit more fluid at times too. Um, So both are possible, but don't see it as a failing or a personal kind of that you did something wrong if there aren't social components to relationship, especially not in the beginning.
0: I think that's important because you may be disappointed and think that someone doesn't like you when in fact that that's not the case.
1: No, it's just a different structure, possibly, of a good working relationship.
0: Right. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you think that our listeners should know about doing business and really that cultural and communication part of interacting?
1: Well, I think a big one is always to remember that in many countries, people know a lot about the U.S., and doing some homework in getting educated and informed about where you're going so that you can be empathetic and you can show that you're not that ugly American who just assumes, of course, everybody speaks English and everybody does things your way, that you have ways to dispel that. I mean, just that really goes, goes a long way. The other thing that goes a long way is just hone your capacity for listening.
0: Very good. Sabina, how can our listeners learn more about you and your business? What's the best way for them to reach out and um, you know connect with you?
1: I think one of the easiest ways um, from this point forward really is going through the TI communication website. So that is TI Communication ticommunication1word.com which has um its English version as well that contains um, some case studies of what intercultural consulting can do for companies. It contains a bunch of blog contributions of work that I have done and some general overview of the range of services we have of course you're also welcome to um, email me directly not sure Anka how we would best kind of handle that so in in this but basically it's my first and last name with a dot at ti communication
0: well we'll do a write-up on this and I'll include Mm. the link to the pod uh, to the podcast as well as um, all of the resources and your company so So Zabina, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today on the Globig International Expansion Podcast. Join us next time for another great podcast on going global faster, easier, more affordably, and more successfully. Don't forget to join Globig.co for lots of free resources, training, business expansion packages, and videos and podcasts. This is Anka Corbin, hoping that you all go global and go big.